Welcome to Victory Church Winchester, Virginia's weekly podcast. Our desire is that you will find Victory a place to call home. Please take a moment to subscribe and share. Here is this week's message from our Sunday morning worship experience. We've been in this collection of teaching uh, since last week. I talked about Israel and the, ch- and, uh, the last days. Uh, this week, I want to talk to you about the church and the last days. Next, all right. Let's go to Matthew chapter 24. Are y'all ready for the word today? Say, I'm ready. If you're not ready, you better get ready. Better get ready. We're going to go to chapter 24. Verse 32 is what's going to show up on the screen behind me and on your message notes in the Victory Church app. But I do want to preface, preface this passage of Scripture and uh, begin with verse 3. It's not going to be on the screen behind me, uh, but you can just listen there and I'll jump uh, over to verse 32. This passage of Scripture in chapter 24 of Matthew and chapter 25 of Matthew is called the Olivet Discourse in Theology. Um, you will find Jesus talking about the end of days, the last days. Um, and that's what we will talk about the church in the last days here. And now as he, Jesus, sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately in verse 3 and said this, Tell us, when will these things be? He was, Jesus was talking to them about the destruction of Herod's temple in that day. As they were sitting on the Mount of Olives, they could see Herod's temple off in the distance. Um, and only thing that is left of that wall now is the Wailing Wall. You can go to Jerusalem today and see that this last remnant of that temple. He said, when will this happen in terms of the destruction of this temple? And they asked him, uh, Tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus begins to talk with them from verse 4 and up until we read to 32 about the signs of his coming, about uh, how we can tell that the return of Jesus would be coming, would be imminent. And we're going to pick up in verse 32. It starts with the parable of the fig tree, and I want to let you know that whenever you're talking about a fig tree in the scripture, there's a lot of metaphors um, that are in the scripture. The fig tree would represent the nation of Israel in this passage. And Jesus says this in red letters, Jesus is talking. He says, now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. These are the signs of the times. You know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near, it is at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Jesus is saying here, when Israel becomes a nation and is established uh, back in its homeland, the people have been dispersed throughout the world, the exile uh, and, and, and all that has taken place from the Babylonian captivity, they were exiled in Syrian Babylonian captivity up until the Roman uh, captivity, the Romans destroyed the temple, the Jewish people dispersed, they became a nation on May 14th, 1948. We talked about all this last week. He says, when these things begin to happen, look and watch and observe the signs of the times. And he said, this generation will by no means pass away until all these things take place We are living in the last days. We are living in the last days before the return of Jesus. Israel, the nation, 
uh, Israel has become a nation is one of the prophetic signs of the time. Uh, it begins to say in verse, or he talks about in 30, uh, verse 36, but of that day of the second coming of Jesus, um, an hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, but my father only. But as is the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the son of man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage up until the day Noah entered the ark. And they did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the son of man be. So Jesus is talking about in this passage, the signs of the times, there will be wars, rumors of wars, famines, pestilence, signs in the heaven, earthquakes, right? Natural disasters. He talks about there will be a great apostasy in terms of the people that were following God, not only Israel, but also the church, would there would be a great falling away uh, from the truth of God's word. And then he also talks about there would be uh, Christ, false Christ that would come in that day saying, I'm the Christ. And he said, don't follow them. And then he talks about the other signs. Israel will become a nation. And then he talks about these are the societal signs that you'll see. Just like in the days of Noah, before God sent the flood as judgment to the people, this will also be the same signs before I return. People were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and they did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so it will also be in the day of the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men, he says, will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding in the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Watch, therefore. Jesus is giving you some instruction. And he's saying, watch. He's telling his disciples, he's telling us today, watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. It's imminent. He is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Verse 44. Therefore, you also be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. I want to share with you from this subject today, the church in the last days. And I want to tell you this morning, the return of Jesus is imminent. Amen. Jesus is coming back. This is the truth of the scripture. He said so. Doesn't matter if we believe it. Doesn't matter if we think it's going to happen in our lifetime. He has said, I will return. Look for the signs of the time. When you see all these things happening, be watchful and be ready. For the Son of Man comes and an hour that you do not know. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for this opportunity this morning to gather here together with our church family around your word in person as well as online. And in Lord, for such a significant subject as this, as your second coming, Lord, I pray, Lord, that our hearts would be open, that our ears would be receptive to hear what you would have to say and that our eyes would be open to see the signs of the times. 
But Father, let us, Lord, by the end of this message, if we have not, come to the place that we're certain, that we know that we know that we're ready for your coming, Lord. May we be in that place. May we come to that decision. May we, we, may we be convinced in our hearts that we are right with you and that we are ready to meet you as you come. And Father, thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do in the next few moments. I pray that you would open up your word and reveal yourself to us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The scripture teaches us in Matthew chapter 24, verse 44, to be ready. In Luke chapter 12, verse 20, to be ready. Jesus says to watch in Matthew chapter 25, verse 13, to be on guard and stay awake in Mark chapter 13, verse 32 through 37, to eagerly wait, Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, and in James chapter 5, verse 7 through 9, he says the end is at hand. First Peter chapter 4, verse 7 says the time is near. Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, behold, I'm coming soon. Revelation chapter 22, verse 7 and that the coming, that my, the time of my coming is at hand. It was a big deal. This message of the coming, the second coming of Jesus, was a big deal to the early Christians, the followers of Jesus. Of to the 200, uh, 260 chapters in the entire New Testament, there are 318 references to Christ's second coming. That averages out to one for every 30 verses in the New Testament. Furthermore, 23 of the 27 New Testament books refer to this great event. And of those four where it's not mentioned, three of, of those are only one chapter long. The New Testament speaks again and again about the last days. And I want to share with you this truth today. I want us to be mindful that only God can give us a revelation of this truth today. We have been talking about the second coming of Jesus for 2,000 years. And so therefore, with his delay, there is a tendency to be discouraged. There is a tendency to uh, just to put it off as something that's not going to happen. But I can tell you with certainty that the word of God is true. It does not return void. Everything has happened in the scriptures just as God has said it would and, the, and also, the second coming of Jesus is at hand, and it will happen. You can count on it. And so I want to share with this, this truth with you here today from our text. In these last days, be ready for the return of Christ. Be ready in these last days for the return of Christ. When I think about being ready, I always think about being prepared for what's coming next. Angela and I recently took a trip. Um, over to the West Coast, to Las Vegas, Nevada for my birthday. And uh, I think about being ready and being prepared as I think about traveling. And how, how many of you before have ever traveled? You've been on an airplane and you, um, you've gone somewhere as a destination. You've traveled before. And nobody in here? So, and so I think about being ready when I think about air travel. And you can't just want to be ready, you better be ready. Because there is not just a desire that you have to get to your destination, but there's a readiness that has to take place at each step on the journey to your destination, right? 
I mean, you're not getting on that plane unless you purchase those tickets. You got to purchase those tickets to be ready, right? You've got to pack your stuff if you're going to be ready. You got to pack your stuff and you got to load it in the car. Trust me. Uh, if you're going to get to the airport, you got to get to the airport. And then you've got to park in long term parking, right? This is all part of the process of being ready. Then you've got to go and you've got to, when you get to the terminal, you've got to check your bags in, right? You've got to print your boarding passes, you check your bags in. And then once you get to that place, then you've got to move your way into the security checkpoint, which half the people are not ready in the security checkpoint. I understand that some of y'all have never been to an airport before. It's the same process everywhere you go. You got to take your shoes off. You got to take your belt off. Take your jewelry off. Your electronics have to go in a second, you know, container. And it's always like people are so surprised. They're like, what do I do? Please be ready when you come to the security checkpoint. Because I'm going like this. I get there early, so it's okay. I make preparations for these type of things. And then once you get past the security checkpoint, you've got to be ready to find your terminal where your plane takes off. You've got to get to the right place. You've got to sit yourself down, get comfortable for however long you've got to be there. You've got to have everything you need for that plane flight, your books, your magazines, you know, whatever you got. For my wife, it was her phone. You've got to get onto that plane. You get on that plane when they tell you to. When you sit down on that plane, if you're smart, I'm going to help you guys out, you get Wi-Fi set up for your spouse. You know, you do that. And that makes the ride a lot better. They're not asking you, you know, how close are we to being there? But I know that you're ready and you take these precautions, most of you, when you go on these vacations. But I want to ask you a question. Are you ready? Are you really ready? Are you really ready for the second coming of Jesus? Because you take a lot of precautions in your education. You take a lot of precautions in your employment you take a lot of precautions in your family and you've planned out your life, but have you made plans to be ready for the second coming of Jesus? I'm just wondering today, because if you're not ready, I'm going to help you get ready today. By the time we leave this place, I want to ensure that you are ready because the second coming of Jesus is at hand. Be ready. It is imminent. In these last days, be ready for the return of Christ. How can we be ready for the return of Christ? This is the question that I want to answer with you today. And I just want to give you a general overview of the timeline of events that the Scripture teaches about that will transpire in these last days. Jesus, as he was crucified and then resurrected, he spent time with his disciples, and he appeared to over 500 people after he was resurrected. He walked around, he taught, he appeared. And before he ascended to the right hand of the Father, he gave some instructions to his disciples. You remember this in Acts chapter 1. He talked to them about waiting for the promise of the Father, the promise of the Holy Spirit. He appeared to them at that moment before he was about to ascend to heaven on the Mount of Olives, and he told them this. I read it last week. If you don't remember, go back and watch this, uh, th that message from last week. But he said, in the same way, the angel said, in the same way that Jesus is leaving, he will also return. 
In other words, as Arnold Schwarzenegger would say, I'll be back. All right. He's coming back in the same way that you saw him return. You will visibly see him returning to step upon the Mount of Olives and to establish his kingdom, his rule and reign. And I want to point out to you and through this timeline, just to give you a brief overview of what this looks like. If you guys have that a picture for our screens, if you'll throw that up there. We are currently living in the present church age, if you would read from the left to the right. It's a period of grace. Jesus uh, ascended to the right hand of God. He gave us the Holy Spirit. He told us to preach the kingdom of God, to occupy until he comes, proclaiming the gospel. This is the present church age. This is an age of grace. It's an age in which we all, the, the, the entirety of the world, every person on the face of the earth, has the opportunity to hear the message of the gospel and respond to the gospel, the good news, the grace of God. At some point, this is what we hold to in the assemblies of God, and I know there might be some discrepancy or maybe uh, there's different views on the timeline of certain events, but we all agree on one thing for certain. If you would look at the rapture of the church and you move over to the return of Christ, this is the event that we all certainly agree to. No matter what denomination you may be in, if you're an Orthodox evangelical Christian, you believe in this event called the return of Christ. The rapture of the church will take place when no one knows. He said, of that day and hour, no one knows. The rapture of the church is when uh, the teaching in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 through 17, where the apostle Paul said, behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all die, but we're going to be caught up to be with the Lord at the last trumpet, and we will always be with the Lord. It will take place in the twinkling of an eye, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It talks about this and that at that point when we ascend to meet the Lord in the air as the church, there will then be the judgment seat of Christ. And God will reward us for the things that we have done on this earth. There will not be a judgment uh, in which there is penalty, a judgment in which there's separation, but it will be a uh, judgment based upon the good things that we've done here on earth. At that time, when we are raptured and we stand before Christ to be with the Lord, the Bible says at the beginning of sorrows, the first portion of the seven-year tribulation. Three and a half years, the abomination of desolation is when the Antichrist sets up um, the, the temple in Jerusalem and he, wants, he, he, he declares everyone has to worship him. At that point, the abomination of desolation takes place, and there's a great tribulation that Jesus talked about early in this chapter. In Matthew chapter 24, the great tribulation, uh, all the signs uh, that happen with that, there's a great amount of death on the earth. Um, the demons, the scriptures say, are unleashed on the earth beginning in this seven-year tribulation, but increasingly gets worse. At that point, Christ returns with the believers, with the church, and he resurrects those that have died, those that have gone, um, those that have gone ahead, and the, then there's a, uh, the millennium, which takes place where Christ rules and reigns. Uh, there's a final judgment at that point um, where Christ uh, banishes the devil and the demons and all of those who did not accept Christ to hell. And then eternity is set up when there is a new heaven and a new earth, and we will live in heaven forever, Revelation chapter 22. Okay? Just a brief overview of the timeline 
of the end time events, but I want to talk to you today, not so much about the timeline of the events, but I want to talk to you about the imminent return of Jesus and how we can be ready for the return of Christ. The first thing that I want to tell you that we need to be doing and how we can be prepared for a second coming is first thing that we need to do is we need to be watching thoughtfully. Matthew chapter 24, verse 42. Watch therefore, Jesus said, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. Watch thoughtfully. Not watch mindlessly. Watch thoughtfully. In other words, be aware of what's going on at the time that is going to lead up to the return of Jesus. Be aware. Don't be unaware. Don't be casual. Don't be complacent. Don't just be going through the motions, but watch thoughtfully, not mindlessly. This is the mentality that we should have right now. Jesus said, be aware, be alert, be on guard, be watching, be ready. Watch thoughtfully. We should be thoughtfully watching for the signs of the times. The signs of the time are these things. As it was in the days of Noah, so it shall also be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. I want to turn to Genesis chapter 6, and I'm going to read to you what the Lord is talking about and what the cultural societal things that were taking place at that time, which Jesus is referring to. I want you to see this in verse 5. It says, Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was very sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing, and birds of the air, for I am sorry I have made them. This is the flood. This is the judgment of the flood. God is going to judge wickedness. But verse 8, and this is what I love, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. What should we, we, we be looking for? Well, the scripture tells us here that as it was in the days of Noah, so it shall be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. The righteous, listen to this, will be the minority among the wicked majority. Noah and his family were the only eight that were saved from the judgment of the flood. There was hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people on the earth at the time, and they were destroyed because of wickedness. Wickedness in the world was not and will not only, was not only tolerated, but it was celebrated as normal and routine. These last days in the days of Noah were characterized by violence, Genesis chapter 6, verse 11. Indifference, Matthew chapter 24, verse 38. Remember, they were marrying and giving in marriage and eating and drinking. They were just kind of going through their motions. They were kind of just going through their daily routines. There's nothing wrong with just eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage, but they were not watch, watching thoughtfully. They were not mindful. They were, they were being compromised. They were casually moving through their lives, just kind of going with the flow. And all the while, wickedness was the dominant prevailing attitude and thought and description of the world. And not only was this wickedness tolerated, but it was celebrated as normal and routine. I don't know about you, but if you look in our society today, evil has become good, normal has become abnormal, abnormal has become normal, right? 
Um, things that were immoral have now cer- certainly become more accepted and moral. There's an idea or there's a, there, there's a teaching now and there's a prevailing thought that we should uh, be tolerant. And I understand tolerance to a point, but tolerance is not approval. Tolerance is not me just saying that it's okay. Tolerance is not me saying that, yes, you're, uh, you're doing the right thing. No, Scripture has a standard in which we are to live by. Scripture is very clear as to what is pleasing to God and what is displeasing to God. As it was in the days of Noah, so it shall also be in the days of the coming of man. Violence, indifference, ignorance. Matthew chapter 24, verse 39 says, And they did not know. They were unaware. They did not know as to what was going to happen to them. And finally, arrogance characterized the coming of Jesus and the conditions, the cultural conditions of that day because they thought that they were okay. They thought they could just go throughout their lives and continue the way they were living. Noah, all the while, was building an ark because the judgment of God was coming. Not only was Noah building an ark, but Noah was also preaching righteousness. He was preaching about the coming of judgment, but they would not listen They were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. Life was going on as normal. So I want us to be ready to watch thoughtfully in these last days. Watch thoughtfully, not mindlessly, thoughtfully. Secondly, we should be ready for the return of Christ, watching thoughtfully, but also by walking carefully, walking carefully. Verse 9 of Genesis uh, chapter 6 says, This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, meaning he was a righteous man. He was perfect or blameless in his generations. Noah walked with God. The life of faith, of righteousness, of blamelessness, and of obedience as compared to a walk. Because in this life of faith, it begins with one step. One step. And then the Lord guides us to the next step. The Lord takes us and directs us into his will one step at a time. And the scripture commands us to walk in love, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. Walk as children of light, verse 8. Walk in the spirit, Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 and 25. And walk circumspectly, which means carefully in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. Listen to this. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly. That means carefully. Not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Noah lived a careful life before God and man. See, casual is not just, it's not acceptable these days in which we live to Jesus. Casual is not acceptable. We have to be walking a life of character and living a life of integrity, a life of righteous standing before God, and also awareness that we also live our life openly before people whom watch us as followers of Jesus. Noah was a righteous man in chapter 6, verse 9. We read that. Noah was a just man. He was a righteous man. His righteous, righteousness did not come from his good works, but his good works came from his righteousness that came alone only from God. The only way that you can take a first step in this walk with the Lord is to have your sins forgiveness, uh, forgiven and to have a righteousness imparted to you, imputed to you, that only comes from Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, um, God, Christ died, the righteous for the unrighteous, that our righteousness might be the righteousness of Christ through believing in him. 
And so we don't have a righteousness that comes from our good works, from the things that we do, but it comes alone from God. Noah believed in God. He trusted in God, and it was accounted to him as righteousness, just as it was Abraham. Secondly, Noah was a blameless man. We need to be blameless, which means this. It's not that we are perfect or sinless. There was only one that was sinless, and that was Jesus. But we are called to live a holy life, a blameless life, a life that before people does not cause other people to question the sincerity of our relationship with Jesus. We are to be blameless people. It means that we have integrity, we are whole, we are unblemished. The Apostle Paul tells us to be blameless in Titus chapter 1, verse 10. Noah was also an obedient man. How difficult was it for Noah to be obedient? He was simply stepping out and obeying the word of God, which God said, I will destroy the earth. I want you to build a boat. That's all he had was a promise from God. He stepped out and he built this boat. He was fully obedient to the Lord. For over a hundred years, he built this boat until the judgment finally came. He was obedient daily. I talked about this as one of the signs of the, uh, of the people, Elijah, of the Elijah people in the last days, that we are to be obediently following the Lord. In other words, we are to be righteous, we are to be blameless, and we are to be obedient. We've got to get our priorities in order. We've got to get the right things in the right order. Amen? We've got to get our priorities right. We've got to get right with God. I think about it this way. Recently, uh, I'll illustrate it like this. Recently, when we took Ava to New York City uh, for her 10th birthday, uh, we were at this toy store called FAO Schwartz. Maybe some of you have been there. They have this uh, candy section in there. So we had to get some candy, you know, and they have like little packs of candy, like you can buy the little candy bags. And we were like, nah, nah, that's, that's not us. We go above and beyond. We go to Costco. Come on, we're Costco people. We ain't playing with none of this little piddly stuff. I say, get in the box. Bring the box. So they had like a tin box. That thing cost like $25. But you better be sure that I was trying to get what I wanted, what I needed into that box, every last bit into that box. Well, I had read um, this illustration that somebody had given, the story somebody had given about how to properly get everything that you can into, you know, a container. And so I told Ava, I said, Ava, go get the big stuff. You see those Legos? You want those little Lego uh, blocks? Throw those candy Lego blocks in here. You want the candy shark? You want the gummy shark? Throw the gummy shark in here. Throw all the big stuff in here. We started packing all the big stuff in there. We're packing it in there. We're throwing, hey, what do you want? You know, we're throwing it in there, right? And then I told her, I said, all right, you see the M&Ms? You like M&Ms? I do too. I want the M&Ms. Oh, you don't like the M&Ms? Put, we're putting the M&Ms in because dad got to get something. I'm paying for this, right? I'm paying for this. So I'm getting some of what I want. Throw the M&Ms in there. So we start putting the M&Ms in there. You know, we fill uh, the rest of the space. I shake it up. I take the box. I shake it up. I shake it up. That stuff's moving down in there, settling in there. I said, we're not done yet. The box, I said, is the box full yet? She said, it looks pretty full, dad. I said, we're not done yet. We can fit more in here. I take the nerds. I said, you want the nerds? Yeah, take the nerds. You take the nerds, the candy, you take that scoop, you scoop them in there. I'm shaking up the thing. I'm shaking it up. Put some more nerds in. Dad, we got enough. No, we don't. I'm paying $25. Shaking it up, shaking it up. 
I'm pressing like this. Everybody's looking at me. I'm, I'm pushing the candy down, the gummy worm, the gummy sharks. I'm pressing them down. Ava's carrying the box like this to check out. I said, now we're good. Now we're good. We got the whole thing filled up. I said, Ava, would you, would you learn about that little illustration there? I asked her. And she says, you know, there's always room for more. I was like, eh, no, not really. I said, here's the moral of the story, Ava. Put the big blocks in first. You see, you've got to have the right priorities. I couldn't have added the big blocks later if I'd have added all the nerds and the M&Ms. You wouldn't have had the big gummy sharks and the big blocks. You've got to add the big things first. In other words, you have to prioritize what you want. I want to tell you today, I want to ask you a question. What are the big blocks? The big blocks are this, that you've got to get right with God. Give your heart to Jesus. Get your life right with God. Those are the, that's the thing that counts. A lot of the things that we think in life that are going to be turn out, that, are, that we think are important, are going to turn out to be useless, to be worthless. Get the big blocks in order. Get the priorities in order. Are you saved? Settle that in your heart and then you can build upon the rest and get ready for the rest. Be ready to walk carefully with God in these last days, right? So to be ready for the return of Christ, we watch thoughtfully, we walk carefully. Lastly, we should be ready for the return of Christ by witnessing boldly. The team can come up and play. I've got a little ways to go, but you can come up to play. Witnessing boldly. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 5 says this, that God did not spare the ancient world, talking about at the flood, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world with the ungodly. So for over a century, Noah had been warning people about the coming judgment, but only his own family believed and trusted the Lord. In other words, Noah's mission was to win as many people as he possibly could, to warn them of the coming judgment that they might be rescued from the judgment to come. Noah's mission is our mission. We have a mission, you and I, to win the world for Christ. We have a mission to tell as many people, to warn as many people, to compel as many people, to talk to as many people as we can. Our mission is not to isolate and to retreat and to get in our own bubble as the coming of the Lord's return is near and evil abounds, right? And we want to protect ourselves from this day and from the people and how they're influencing, trying to influence us and our family. We don't just go off into a separate place and isolate and retreat. No, Jesus says to occupy until he comes. We have a mission to tell as many people as we can, to witness boldly in our generation, just as Noah did in his generation. But there's two opposing missions in the world today, in case you haven't noticed. Our mission is to preach the gospel and warn as many people as we can that they might be saved. But the mission of the world is to conform others to their way of thinking. 
to their values, to their beliefs, to their system, to what, how they want them to believe. Our mission is to transform through the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This in Romans chapter 12, do not be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove which is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So we don't protect ourselves from the world, but we abide in Christ. We're faithful to God. We preach the truth and we warn others of the coming judgment. Our job is to be transformers. How do we maintain our mission to win the world and at the same time protect ourselves from its godly influence? That's the question. How? By faithful, number one, by faithful, bold, fearless, and personal devotion and proclamation of the word of God. Jude chapter 20, verse 2, says to build yourself up through your most holy faith. You build yourself up through personal devotion fearless proclamation of the word of God. We need to get into the word of God in these last days. We have to know what thus saith the Lord. It's not enough for us to just live our life. We've got a message to preach. We've got a life to live. We have to live it boldly and unashamedly. So the way that we keep ourselves transformed and protected from the ungodly influence of the world is to by be, being faithful in our personal devotion. And by secondly, by faithful corporate and large group gatherings to study, pray for, and encourage one another. What you're doing here today, what you're doing in small groups, what you're doing in collective Bible studies. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 says this. It says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, which is the habit of some, the writer of Hebrews says, but be faithful to gather together and so much more as you see the day approaching. So Jesus connected, or the writer of Hebrews connected the coming of the Lord to our being prepared for that coming of the Lord by gathering together. And can I just say something? I'm glad if you're tuning in, joining us online. But we have to gather together as a church. And if you are not faithfully attending church, you are out of the will of God. It's the will of God. This is very clear in scripture to gather together. And so I want to encourage you that when you come to Christ, he has called you to be in community. You're not a lone ranger. There's no such thing in the body of Christ as an individual follower of Jesus. We are a personal follower of Jesus. We are not individual. We are collective. We are people. And so we are encouraged by the Apostle Paul to gather together, even so much the more as we see the day approaching. Personal devotion, faithful devotion to the Word of God, corporate devotion to the word of God to encourage one another. Noah didn't retreat from society, but he faithfully preached the message of God's judgment and a way of escape, and we need to do the same. I'm going to conclude with this story I read recently. It was on September the 30th, 1882, the Robert E. Lee pleasure boat departed out of Vicksburg with hundreds of people on board. And after midnight, the ship caught on fire. The ship captain noticed this taking place, and he told the first mate, 
He said, go throughout the entire ship, through all of its corridors, and yell and scream and wake people up and tell them that the boat is on fire. Save themselves. And so the first mate rushed down through the saloon and through every corridor to wake everyone up. He didn't have time to make explanations. He didn't have time to have conversations. He simply did what the captain told him to do. He warned them of the judgment to come. As he's going through those corridors, some people got angry that he would wake them up. They went back to sleep. Some of them laughed. They thought this was like a drunk person, like this was just merely for their entertainment. They didn't take the warning, the message seriously. And so they laughed and they kept on moving. Some of them, when they heard the message and the messenger going and bringing the message of warning of the ships on fire, the judgment to come to save themselves, they couldn't quite understand what the message was. And as he got a little further and he got a little further away, they faintly could hear the message after time They just discounted the message altogether. But finally, there were those that heard his message and they responded. The boat is on fire and they saved themselves. They rescued themselves. It was just a few minutes later after he gave this appeal to them, this urgent appeal to escape with your life. The ship is on fire. 20 people, over 20 people were swept down into a frightful death. But... There were some that heard the message, the warning, and believed it to be true. They awakened from their sleep and escaped to safety. And this is exactly the way the world is treating the warnings of God. And some become angry at the message. Others are amused, they're entertained. There are those who hear the gospel and then they gradually cease to hear. They're waiting for a more convenient season to get things right, get things straight with God. There are some who, when they hear God's warning and accept Jesus into their lives, they put on their clothes, the garment of salvation, and they escape from a burning hell. And it's for their sakes that we must keep proclaiming the gospel. We must understand that the boat is on fire and that time is running out. So how are we to be ready in these last days for the second coming of Jesus? We watch thoughtfully, we walk carefully, and we must witness boldly. For the time is at hand. Are you ready? Are you ready? Matthew chapter 24, verse 44, I'll read it again. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Are you ready? I want to conclude and give you a benediction These are the last words that Paul wrote to this man named Titus, who was a pastor. This is the word of God. Verse 11 of Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that, we might, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous, passionate for good works. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority and let no one 
despise you. Make this charge for you today. With every head bowed and eye closed, the Apostle Paul would say, inspired by the Spirit of God as he penned these words, today is the day of salvation. The boat is on fire. Time is running out. Are you, be, are you ready to meet the Lord at his second coming? No man knows the day nor the hour the Lord could come suddenly, and he will come suddenly, even this very moment. And the only way for you to be saved from the judgment that is to come is to be ready, to be watching, to be walking carefully, to be witnessing boldly. And so today, if there is anyone in this place or maybe joining us online and you know your life is not right with the Lord, you don't have a righteousness or right standing with God that comes only from Him. You've been living a life of compromise, of casualty. You've been kind of going through the motions. You've been eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage. You've been kind of going through the motions. You've kind of have your own hang-ups and your own situations and things that you simply can't get free from and that you can't let go of. And you know that your life is not right with Jesus, whether you're young or you're old in this place today. Today is the salvation. The time is now. The moment is here. What will you do? You are in the moment of decision today. I urge you, I compel you, I plead with you today as Noah would plead with you and as Jesus would say to you, be ready for your Lord comes at an hour that you do not know. Judgment is coming on the face of the earth. Will you have a righteousness apart from your own good works, from your own self? Because these righteous works and these deeds are as filthy rags before the Lord. They will not justify. They will not forgive you. They will not give you a righteousness. You have to have a righteousness only that comes from Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so today, Jesus stands at the door. This is a metaphor that he gave in the book of Revelation, chapter 3 and verse 20. This particular scripture took place right before the rapture of the church. Revelation chapter 1 through verse 4 is talking about the church. Uh, chapter 1 verse through chapter 4 is talking about the church age. And then the Lord appears. He asks John, he says, come up here and I will show you things that must take place. He begins to talk to him about the great tribulation and the, the awful times that were yet to come. We don't hear about the church at all. Revelation 5 all the way to verse, or all the way to chapter 18 until the Lord returns. So the Lord is coming soon. The Lord will come and he will appear in the clouds. He will appear according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I'm going to read this. We say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout 
with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Are you ready? Today, you can be ready. You can be ready to meet the Lord. And as the Lord is standing at the door of your heart in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, before the church is raptured, he says this, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And everyone who opens the door and lets me in, I will come in and I will dine with him. I will be with him and he with me. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Our vision is that you would experience Victory Church as a place to call home. We do this by encountering God through worship, embracing community through relationship, and expanding the kingdom of God through service. Find out more about Victory at victorywinchester.com.